Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Hour number two of our broadcast. Welcome back. I'm Bill Shanks here at Texas Roadhouse in Macon on Riverside Drive at the shops at River Cross. So we hope you'll come and get some bread when you walk in the door, some butter with that, and then sit down and have a great meal, including perhaps the baby back ribs, which are fall off the bone here at Texas Roadhouse. Let's talk uh, sports with Brent Rollins from UGASports.com Pro Football Focus. What pro basketball focus too? Since you want to talk about Nate McMillan, right? Oh gosh, I got I got so many thoughts on that guy, Bill. I mean, we could talk. We could <laughs> we could spend a whole segment on that. Like, hey, do your guys play hard? You? <laughs> well, because well, no, they don't. Go ahead. Do you have a development plan? No, you don't. Like, I got so many. <laughs> we won't wait right. on that. No, you're right. And and it was the the biggest. Uh, secret that everybody knew that he was going to be fired at some point. And I think those games against Charlotte and New York, which were pathetic performances, I mean, you just can't have those kind of performances as a head coach in the NBA and get away with it, can you? No, no that team is – they had totally checked out on him. And that, that those two games were beyond evidence uh, of that, yes. I think you're right. So who do you think they should hire? Now that I have no clue. I, 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 don't follow, I don't follow the NBA enough to know those names. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, so whoever the uh, the Woj or the Shams guy, uh, whoever they're saying, all right, we'll go with them. Mm-hmm. I, the biggest thing for me would be someone who well, develops I, it's, young players. Like find someone who's going to right. coach and get, make young players better because that's how they're going to have to get better. Johnson, AJ Griffin, those guys are going to have to just keep getting better and better. I agree, and I think they've got great potential. And, uh, you know, Congo's uh, in the same boat there, but you, you have to play him. I mean, I, I said right before the break, Brent, there was a game a couple of weeks ago where Jalen Johnson had 11 rebounds, like six, seven points, but 11 rebounds. He had really played well. The next game he didn't p- play, DNP. Like, what the hell? That, I, none of that makes sense to me. I know, I know. Well, it's the Hawks. They don't make sense a lot of times, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> hey, um, we, we, we're seeing more mock drafts here, and I, I know we're going to go overboard with mock drafts. We'll be sick of them, but the one from CBS Sports today was interesting because they had the Falcons kind of trading down. But I wanted to ask you uh, about Taylor Lewan, the the lineman from Tennessee who was released by the Titans, and he had played for Arthur Smith. He, he's had some ACL issues, but is, would you bring him in over Caleb McGarry? And I mean, they're going to have to draft another one probably. But what would you do with that other tackle situation? I wouldn't necessarily say over. Like, if you give me the choice, I'm taking the younger, been healthier player all day, every day. Uh, the interesting thing about McGarry, what's, what's going to be fascinating to see what the Falcons do with him is because you know, technically you have a guy who's graded, like from PFF perspective, graded really well, one of the top tackles in the league, but he's been very inconsistent as a pass blocker. His grade is more run block dependent, and you're talking about, you know, a running game that with what Arthur Smith does, that you know, some of that stuff is a little bit unstable. 
from year to year. Pass protection is actually a little more stable grade-wise year to year. And if you're really good at it, you're going to consistently be good at it. Uh, so it's how much does money does he want? How much money do they want to pay? That one to me is going to be fascinating with him specifically. Now, if you do not, if you let McGarry walk, then by all means, like if you want to bring the one in on a prove-it deal, go for it. And maybe now offensive tackle becomes kind of your focus uh, at eight. Highly possible. From what you've seen of the prospects who could be there at eight, is it a good spot to be in for the Falcons, or would you in that position, and I know it depends on how they fall, of course, but do you think there are going to be some good value players there, or do you think they should look to move down? See, that's, that's what's, I think, fascinating about this draft, because to me, after you, I, I would say after you get past the four quarterbacks, because to me the four quarterbacks are quarterback in itself makes it a valuable pick. The four quarterbacks, plus Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. After those six players, I think anybody who's picked seventh through fiftieth could be, you know, forty-nine could be just as good as eleven. You know, pick thirty-six could be wow. play just as well as twenty-five. There's no like there's a line of demarcation to me in this draft where it's just sort of elite blue chip type players, and then a bunch of guys who it's. Right, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. What do you want? And I think if them, if, if tackle is their focus, they can't move back too far because I think Tennessee would be one, now that Luan is gone, that would be very much in the tackle marketplace. But like, to me, I, I'm very intrigued to see how Broderick Jones looks at the combine because I think he, he's a guy who mm-hmm. if he shows high-level athleticism, which I think he's going to. He could start getting that, you know, top 10 type talk uh, I'd take him over the kid from Ohio State all day every day um, the Northwestern kid I, I like him as a player but there's also the talk about sort of arm length and could he be a, end up being a better guard than tackle so I, I think Broderick very much could be in play for the Falcons at 8 Broderick was in the CBS Sports mock draft Brent at number 27 there's no way he's going to last till 27 well, that, that's, I think that kind of goes to show, and I've looked at, I looked at this recently, just, and I hadn't tweeted about it or anything, but I just have it written down. Like somebody like Jalen Hyatt, uh, you know, he's in the, in terms of just big board rankings, he's in the teens in some places, he's in the 20s in some places, he's in the 50s in other places. Uh, Darnell and Ringo are in right around the mid, you know, early to mid 30s. Mm-hmm. And then with PFF, they're in the 70s. Uh, so, like, there's just a uh, Quentin Johnston, the receiver from TCU. He's in the, like, 20s and 30s and a couple of, you know, big-time guys, but he's higher on PFF board. So there's a lot of just variations in terms of big boards and rankings, and that's why I think this draft is going to be one where very much you're going to see teams move up and because move up and or down because they like a specific guy that they just want to, hey, I want this guy in this range, and I want to make sure I get this guy. Well, there were a ton of mock draft trades in this mock here uh, that CBS did, and and it was kind of weird. We kind of raised our eyebrows the fact that Khalid Ringo was the next to last pick in the second round, which I think 
that's the lowest we've seen him, but he has been kind of all over the board. He he has something to show at the combine, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And I think the biggest thing that he has to show is like three cone like three cone drills and and side to side shift, you know, hip hip movement quickness. I think he's going to run an absolute blazing forty time, like potentially in the low four threes, and especially if he's right around, if he's 205 or less. He weighs in at like 210, 215. He might be in the upper four threes, right at 44. But I think he's going to be lighter, be quicker, and run just really blistering time in the 40. And guys his size that run that well and have as good a tape as he does, they don't get out of round one. Someone's going to pick them in round one. It just It's not going to happen. And, and – when you think about him as a as a prospect, right? Who has he really looked? Not necessarily bad, but who has made him, you know, from a statistical standpoint, struggle against? Okay, Jamison Williams, top fifteen pick. Marvin Harrison Jr., mm-hmm. top five pick next year. Like you're talking about the biggest and the baddest dudes that have you know, potentially made him, you know, look a little bit uh, mortal. That's all. I, I, I don't see him getting out of round one whatsoever. Brent Rollins, our guest at Brent Rollins PhD on Twitter from UGA Sports Pro Football Focus. Uh, I, I've, I've said many times, Brent, I, I love uh, retweeting your tweets. You have good stuff there. And you, you've put out a lot of things about Stetson Bennett that have included him in a lot of lists with the other higher-ranked quarterbacks. You had one – in the last day or so, passing grade the last two seasons on straight dropbacks with a clean pocket, no RPO, screen, or play action. Bryce Young, 95.7. C.J. Stroud, 95.0. Stetson Bennett, 91.0. And then Hennon Hooker, 85.4. So as we try to see how teams are going to look at this young man, and, and of course, they're going to watch him carefully. We, we already know, and you said this last week correctly, I think, that they're going to ask questions, especially, unfortunately, about what happened there in Dallas a few weeks ago. Those type stats like what you tweeted there are going to have to get their attention just for the fact that Stetson's in there, right? Yes, and, and the biggest thing there is, so why, why do I tweet or why do I look at numbers specifically like that? You try to find numbers that are, one, predictive of what QB play, your quarterback play, will look like in, at the next level. And two, that are very mm-hmm. stable metrics, like year-to-year, typically. Clean pocket passing grade is a, for the most part, stable metric. It's one of the most, and, and also one of the most predictive metrics that we have at PFF. Because, you know, RPOs, play action, screens, those are things where it's the scheme is, designing uh, a lot of the yardage and or statistics that you see. Straight dropbacks, clean pocket, those are things where it's on the quarterback to, one, make the decision of where to put the ball, and then, two, put it there accurately. Now, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, obviously on another level. Last year, it's been drafted the highest is because of the accuracy factor. But in terms of Stetson's play with the rest of these guys, the play and the production itself is there. It's just a matter of what round does a team want to 
take a chance on him, and what round do they see the value in him? I think like, I, I did tweet this out like a, maybe two months ago, a month ago, right shortly after the national championship. I think he's a late third-round pick. I think somebody like the Dolphins, with Tua insurance and the experience that he brings, that to me is like primo you know, team for him to pick. Now with Munkin being in Baltimore, that's somebody you got to look out for. That that, that connection is obviously there. But there's going to mm-hmm. be a lot of teams that, that say, hey, this guy can be an instantly experienced backup who we know can play well and can be mobile, and he's going to be cheap. Well, there are so many teams in the NFL that have to use their backup quarterbacks. Uh, These quarterbacks are having trouble staying healthy, and, of course, the short leash with which these quarterbacks are on, it just seems like these teams are – changing them so quickly uh, it, it's fun to see Stetson in those in those groups that are are also occupied by the ones like Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and uh, obviously the ones that are going to projected to go higher than than Stetson because I, I I'm really anxious to see how how high he's going to go and and what he's going to do um, another it, team too as by the far way. as these mock graphs is, are concerned go, go ahead I'm sorry Another team, Arizona. Like, look what Arizona, the situation that Arizona's sitting in. With Kyler Murray tearing his ACL, he probably is not playing until November at the earliest. Stetson would be, to me, a perfect pick for them in, in that third-round area and go be their starter. And guess what? If they're bad, who cares? You're going to be picking high in a, in a great draft next year. So, like, for them, I think Arizona's another team that just lights up as a possibility for him. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. When when you, I'm sure you're like we are, just fans, and and look at these mock drafts. Uh, any trends you're seeing? I mean, is it go back to kind of what you were saying about after these quarterbacks? That it's kind of a a roll of the dice through the first rest of the first round, the second round. But and and does that mean we're going to see players like we talked about with Khalil Ringo kind of all over the board? I think you're seeing a lot of that, a lot of all over the board, uh, like. Team, uh, kids like Miles Murphy and Receive from Clemson. You know, you see him mm-hmm. as high as eight, nine, ten, mm-hmm. or as low as forty. I, I think that's going to be all right. Once you get the testing numbers, once you get the combine numbers, and you get the medicals, specifically for some of those kids, the medicals are going to be very big. Like, hey, is this kid going to be healthy in five years? Uh, but the other, I think, the other big trend is every, almost every, and a lot of it's clickbait, just as much as anything, but. Every almost every mock draft anymore that I see, Anthony Richardson is is not getting past 12, 13 maybe at the lowest, and most are in hit with him in the top ten. And, and I think that's one that you're going to see as folks get into his tape specifically. They're going to see a lot of I, I know like Georgia fans kind of when I point this out that he could be picked very high. They're like you know you're crazy, but. There's a lot of things in his tape where it's like, okay, the mental process is there. The physical attributes we know are there. It's just a matter of, hey, let's get more consistent play, and in three years, this kid might be the best QB out of all these guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. He was 1-1 in this CBS Sports mock draft here, and uh, it's um, it's going to be fun. The combine's going to be fun. I can't wait for it. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. 
Hey, Brent, great stuff. Thank you. Even included NBA basketball in today's hey, segment. That's pretty it. cool. Hey, I like that. Brave, we'll talk to you again next week, talk. okay? Braves talk next week, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get your thoughts on the left field situation. Can Marcel Azuna bounce back? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, Brent, thank you very much. We Thanks, appreciate Bill. it. Appreciate it. All right, Brent Rollins at Brent Rollins PhD on Twitter with UGASports.com, ProFootballFocus.com. Justin Toscano is the beat writer for the Atlanta Braves for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and he will join us from spring training to talk about what's going on down in Northport, Florida, as we are three days away from the start of the games being played in the Grapefruit League. We'll visit with Justin right after this. Thanks for being with us here on this Wednesday. We are Talking Sports. We are live at the Texas Roadhouse here in Macon on Riverside Drive, Shops River Crossing. Let's talk Braves baseball now. Justin Toscano is the Braves beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He does a great job of covering this team, and we also uh, suggest you listen to the podcast that he does. We'll let Justin tell us more about that. He had an interview with... Alex Anthopoulos a few days ago with uh, the one and only Jay Black leading the way there. And, Justin, we're thrilled to have our program from spring training. And, yeah, tell everybody more about the podcast so they can uh, make that a a regular listening habit. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's really good to be on with you guys. And um, hopefully we can do it again, you know, at different points throughout the season. But, yeah, so at the AJC we started – a podcast sure. called The Braves Report, and um, really what we wanted when I got the job last year, um, around this time actually, when I started, was, uh, and we have Jay Black, and before I even get in his, into any of this, he's the best teammate ever. Jay is what makes the show run. Um, I couldn't do it without him. Like, he makes us sound great. He's got great ideas. And so what we really wanted um, was to kind of tell the stories behind the scores. Uh, so there's analysis, we've got interviews, but... Really, I mean, I'm in the clubhouse day in, day out, so it's a lot of the little nuggets I pick up and a lot of, you know, getting to know guys and how they pick and really relaying that into the analysis. So it's been really fun. Like you mentioned, we had Alex on the other day, and, we, you know, to this day, thank him for his time out of a busy day. Um, and we've had other interviews, and it's, it's been a lot of fun uh, to kind of compliment the writing. And, it's, uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a different speed, and there's nobody better to work with on that than, uh, than Jay Black, who's the best in the biz. Yeah, Jay does a great job. I've known him for a long time. Justin, obviously we're three days away from the start of the games being uh, started. And, look, on paper, uh, th- this team looks really, really good. There are, are questions, are areas of concern, shortstop, left field, and the curiosity, if you will. I don't think it's a concern about the fifth starter spot. But what are the things that have kind of stood out to you so far? Right. Yeah. So I, I love the depth on the, on this team. I mean, I think that that's what they've done such a good job at, right? Is you have star level players like Ronald Acuna, Max Freed, Michael Harris will get there. Austin Riley, Spencer Strider um, is another budding star, but you've got depth. And I think that's what you need. You can, you can look at the undecided fifth starter spot, um, the competition left field as a couple spots that 
maybe could have been addressed this offseason. But I think they did a really good job regardless. They added Sean Murphy and still have Travis Darnot, so that should be, if all goes well, um, one of the best catching tandems, if not the best in baseball. Um, and then you look at the bullpen. I think they just have so much depth in terms of guys, you know, two or three guys who aren't going to make the opening day roster that could make a lot of other bullpens in baseball um, and, you know, could have made this one. I, I really think whether it be that or four or five options in left field, it's not a top-heavy roster. And in this sport, you cannot win with one, two, three, or even four players. I mean, you need you really, really need depth, not even just because it's a long season with twists and turns and injuries. You need it um, because eventually depth pulls forward uh, come postseason time, and it, it's so, so important. And that's kind of what stood out to me is you have the stars, and they looked good. Max Freed looked good today. Ronald Acuna hit a home run off of him. Spencer Strider looked great. Uh, Acuna's looked great in BP. Um, Vaughn Grissom's looked good. Kind of what you would expect so far before the games start. You can't really glean too much, but I really, really love the depth. Justin, a lot of fans are, are curious to see Sean Murphy behind the play just because he's he was playing in Oakland and nobody cares about Oakland. But uh, you, you highlighted in your, in your re- reporting about a, a drill that he was doing the other day when he was throwing the ball to first base. I mean, it sounds like his presence – uh, behind the plate, literally, is going to be a, a big deal for this team. He, he just seems like uh, and sounds like he's a beast behind that plate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that when you looked at it, that's maybe where the Braves haven't been um, under Alex Anthopoulos. They've had good catchers and have gotten a lot out of that spot, but they've never had an elite one like this. Uh, Travis Darnot has been great. But Sean Murphy is on a different level than a lot of catchers in baseball, not named JT Realmuto um, or Will Smith. I mean, just the arm. Like, I know there's not a ton, like I just said, that you can, you can kind of glean from these drills. But, yeah, I mean, just how fluid he was. You, you could tell a difference between Sean Murphy and the other catchers out there a couple days ago. And, and just every throw was on the money. I mean, you know, and on, and on a line, too. Not much bend. Um, I mean, he... He's got an elite arm. He's got an elite pop time. Like you can, the metrics will tell you that. Um, your eyes will tell you that. But in those drills, I mean, just just the way he effortlessly kind of like gets up without a hitch to throw to second, or if he's throwing to first, shifts his body. I mean, it's just it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and it's going to be beneficial for the Braves because look, as much as we're talking about the pitch clock, you know, and the adjust the pitchers adjusting to it it's going to add a new wrinkle to the running game because you're not going to be able to control the running game in the way you once were with pitchers only getting two disengagements uh, per plate appearance. So a, a good defensive catcher, an elite defensive catcher, is going to make all the difference. And it, it, it's probably going to be more of a separator than it already was. Uh, and he still, I mean, he's told me that he doesn't care as much about the offense. He, you know, he works on that, but he, you know, he could go for five. And if the team won and he called a good game, it, it'd be great for him. But he's got some pop in that bat, too, so I'd watch out. Justin, uh, we, we know that there are limitations now on what the pitcher can throw to first base when there's a run run. Are there any limitations on the catcher? Is that going to be part of, of this, that the catcher, like Sean Murphy, can throw behind the runner at first base as much as he wants? Yes, yes, as I understand it. And that's going to be 
that's going to be important because you got it's going to be one of those things where you've got to at least show you can do it right. And so I, I think that's going to be really important to have a catcher who can kind of just put it in hitter t- even if even if it's not a threat to get him on the back pick or anything like that. Um, you've got to put it in their heads. I mean, a lot of teams are going to be looking to run, especially against a team like the Braves, because opponents know the Braves can score, you know, five, six, seven, eight runs a game, uh, you know, or three or four runs in an inning that can get on you quick. The teams are going to be running on them um, or try to run and, and see that maybe, you know, as a catalyst for some offense. But you, he's Sean Murphy's going to have to at least put it in their head. And that's, yes, that's going to be important because the catcher is going to be able to throw over to first. And that's the way you're going to be able to kind of um, to kind of try to control the running game. But a lot of it too is you know you have to if the pitcher is you know the pitch clock's kind of coming down, you can use a mound visit, and that doesn't count as a disengagement. Or you know it's it's going to have to be times to home for pitchers are going to have to be so important. Uh, and all this is even more important because the bases are a little bigger this year, so the distance between them is a little smaller. Justin, any young pitchers standing out to you so far? Hard to tell right now, um, but, you know, Ian Anderson has looked good uh, by all accounts from Brian Snicker so far. Um, We'll see if he can kind of get back. Spencer Strider looked tremendous today. Um, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting, especially because I don't think the Braves, you know, have as much room. Jared Schuster is, you know, probably their top prospect, and he's a left-handed pitcher. They just don't have, you know, a need for a Spencer Strider like they did last year or a Michael Harrison. So just without, you know, most of these spots are locked up. And so I would say, you know, Ian Anderson has looked good so far um, and has done a live BP. We haven't gotten to see much of Mike Soroka. Um, we haven't gotten to see uh, a ton of these young guys just because they're probably not going to be very, very prominent on, on the roster, the prospect side of things, the non-roster invitees. Um, but it's that alludes to how it's such a deep pitching staff, and uh, they're in good shape. It's going to be fun to watch to see how the pitchers get their innings as they uh, try to figure out this pitching staff. Justin Toscano has been our guest and we hope you'll follow him. It's Justin C. Toscano on Twitter, right, Justin? Yep, you nailed it. All right, good deal. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you on the program, and, yes, we do hope to have you on again during spring training, and uh, I look forward to meeting you when I'm down there next month. Sounds good. Yeah, look forward to it, and thanks for having me. Thank you very much, Justin Toscano, our guest. So there you go, uh, uh, another confirmation, Russ, that – Throws to first base don't count. And I, I just think that was a big part of the thought process of getting Sean Murphy. Yeah, uh, there's no question about it. They're talking about, you know, saving their legs down the stretch too. But I think that defensive ability really stood out because, I mean, Alex Anthopoulos is always trying to stay ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. And I think acquiring Sean Murphy is definitely going to do that. And, you know, and it's going to – look, it's going to impact the game. Uh, there, there's no question about it. Even just watching some spring training video today – Justin referenced that home run Acuna hit off of Freed. And, and watching the video, and David O'Brien pointed this out, Freed was a little rushed on the throw because of the pitch clock. <laughs> so, you know, that's going to be a part of it. And, and once you make those two throws over, especially in tight games at late, guys are going to be looking to steal. And there, I think it was Ozzy grounded out to first. And 
there was an underhanded toss to the bag, and the big base was pretty obvious on that play, which in that instance is a good thing because, I mean, they were far apart from each other. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully pitchers don't get stepped on as much. But it's it's going to be different. I don't know how notice, noticeable it's going to be when we're watching it, but there are definitely going to be some adjustments. We, we have said over the last couple of weeks that the month of April will probably not be a – uh, a, an example for how we want baseball to be played is these players get more accustomed to the rules changes. When I read that blurb today from uh, O'Brien about the fact that Max had to rush his throw, <laughs> uh, first of all, I said a nasty word. I don't want to because, you know, if it affects my boy Max, it's going to piss me off. Um, because that's going to happen. I mean, what, what – Pitchers are going to have to get into the habit of watching the clock and set it correctly. I think what he said they are positioning the clocks in in sight in the sight line of a pitcher so he can easily see how much time he's got left. But the thought process is going to get away from them to where they're going to be pissed about a call behind the plate. Oh, the umpire squeezed him, and instead of walking around and getting pissed and looking at the umpire and you know saying something bad about his mama, he got to get back up on the rubber and throw. And so those kind of things that are, are just a force of habit because they've done it for so long physically mm-hmm. is going to have to be changed to where we're going to see probably pitches that are going to be done quickly. And that is not always going to be a very good outcome, I think. So it is going to be an adjustment. This is a season of adjustment for Major League Baseball. I hope the changes provide a better product. I'm not very – optimistic about that because I'm an old school baseball fan and I don't mind a three hour baseball game, but I, I get it because nobody's attention span is better than 15 seconds, much less 15 minutes. So we got to hurry things up a little bit, but I understand I do. It's just, how is it going to negatively impact the game? And is it going to take a while for that curve to, make it all smooth out that's what i don't know and i kind of fear and that's why i think april's going to be a yeah. crap show to be honest with you well you know they've been working with a pitch clock and um, they call it something else but it's a pitch clock in college baseball since the 2020 season but this year they changed the rule where you can only step off i think it's two times per at bat to count as a disengagement to restart the clock and so, but the college pitchers have been using the pitch clock for this will be the fourth season now so that but so in in what i'm getting to is you don't even notice it. Like, you're not even aware that's a thing uh, that's yeah, happening. So. And I hope it gets to that in Major League Baseball. And they're already using it, even in these live BPs, sure, sure. to try to get used to it. But I, I think, like you're saying, in April, there's going to be an instance or instances where it, it, it does affect the game. And yeah. hopefully by May it's smoothed out and we don't even realize it. I hope not. I hope it doesn't. I tell you, when I hear about Spencer Strider looking amazing – uh, last night, someone, uh, well, it was the Braves, the Atlanta Braves, that Atlanta Braves on Twitter put a picture of Spencer and Max together, and they were like, caption this photo, and I responded, aces. Because when I look at those two right now, that's what I see, two pitchers who could be an ace pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. I, I, I can't wait to see what he does. Um, I, I, I really, I, I, to have 30-plus starts, uh, you know, to see the types of numbers he can put up, we were looking at some stuff yesterday because he had that game in August where he struggled against the Mets. And he came back out in his very next start. It was against the Mets, the very same team, and he bounced back immediately. So, you know, he's going to hit rough patches. Every pitcher does, but he's already shown that he's, it's, it's not 
there's not a fragility about him mentally that he can bounce back and get back at it. So, I mean, you go out there and, you know, start striking out 25 people a week. I can't wait to see what that number is at the end of the year. I know. I know. Can he reach 300 strikeouts? That's, that's, that's what I want to see. I mean, that's if he makes 30 starts, that's 10 strikeouts a game. Yeah. I don't think that's out of the question. I don't either. I don't either. I mean, his his strikeouts per nine innings last year was, what, 13 and a half, I believe, in 20 starts. So, I, I no, I'm – I'm very optimistic he can reach that number for sure. And I just – I can't wait. Again, preview the season in four words for me. It's Spencer Strider, 30 starts. Because if you have that kind of pitcher and for 30 starts, you have Max Fried, you have Charlie Morton, you have Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright says his shoulder hasn't felt better in years. Well, last year he means he felt bad and he won 21 games. This guy was number five in the draft a few years ago. There was a reason we waited on him to – turn that corner and finally be the guy and he did last year and evidently he was hurt doing it now he's not so what now what is he going to do i tell you there's a lot to be excited about with the atlanta braves for 2023 that being said if ken from macon calls up with anything negative we're hanging up on him (laughs) we've had two straight days of negative phone calls from ken we told him yesterday at the end of the phone call killer nothing negative on wednesday so he's got to be poly freaking Anna today on the show, right? He's just got to sound That's it. as positive as he can. I mean, there's got to be something out there he's fired up about, right? <laughs> All right, let's open up the phone lines and see. 478-646-CSPN. That is our number. We are at Texas Roadhouse here where uh, the dinner crowd's getting ready to come in. This place is always crowded, which you know what that means? It's good. All the time. Uh, we, I was joking with someone the other day, best time to come to Texas Roadhouse is when they open the doors because if not, you're going to have to wait a little bit. It is a popular place here in Macon, Georgia, and we invite you to come out and be part of it here at the Texas Roadhouse, the Shops River Crossing on Riverside Drive here in Macon. 478-646-ESPN, plenty to talk about. Hawks fans, your thoughts on Nate McMillan getting fired? What do you think it will mean moving forward? Who do you want as the head coach? We can talk Glenn Schumann interviewing with the Eagles. We can talk about the Falcons. Do you want Taylor Lewan for tackle? And, of course, we can talk about the Braves. Back with more sports talk on this Wednesday right after this. Four forty-two. our time. Bill and Russ here on the radio. We're at the Texas Roadhouse here in Macon where you can come get a uh, cactus blossom. You can get, of course, the fall off the bone ribs, half slab, full slab. They are worth it. They are really good. All right, let's get to the phones, and we're, we've got a little bit of a delay, so be patient with us. Let's start with Positive Ken and Macon. How y'all doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, I was just thinking, uh, me is a positive thing for the Hawks to make a change and, and get them a new coach and find out how it's going to be with the new coach. And, and it's going to be something new and good than what I'm looking at. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm kind of glad it happened. I, I was really ticked off after those last two performances in Charlotte, New York. They just didn't show up, and you can't do that. It, it, they got to – have more urgency it's got to matter and if it was his fault they weren't doing that then we'll see and then 
also I'm glad that uh, even though Todd Munkin left, it's going to be a plus for uh, Mike Bobo because he's a he's an exciting, great coach. Uh, they scored 40-something points a game when he was at Georgia. And and with, with uh, Kirby Smart's uh, recruiting, it's going to be awesome for him to be coaching under that of that regime at Georgia, and I think it's going to be a plus. And Georgia back-to-back champions, and I think it's only for the better, Bill. I really do. I I agree, Killer. I think Mike Bubbo's going to do fine. He they averaged forty-one point three points per game in his last season as offensive coordinator, and Hudson Mason was his quarterback. And I I think your boy Carson Beck's going to be even better. Hey, Killer, good job. You were positive. I like it. Well, we appreciate it. You have a good day. Okay, thank you. You too. <laughs> he had to feel better. Just euphoria flowing through his body with the positivity. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's almost spring. Everything. I mean, nobody, nobody of the big ones that we care about. Nobody's playing right now. <laughs> That's right. The Braves aren't playing. The Falcons aren't playing. The Hawks aren't playing. George is not playing. No, nobody can lose tonight. That's Be right. in a good mood. <laughs> Good thing Georgia basketball is not on the schedule. Eddie in Ackworth is with us. Hey, Eddie, how are you? Hey, uh, I, I'm worried about the Vols. You know, Heupel's got it going in Knoxville, and uh, Kirby better get going <laughs> and be able to keep up. We ain't got no Stinson Bennett this year, so uh, I'm really worried, Bill. <laughs> you got you to make me feel better. Uh, Kirby's got to get his act. No, no worry is necessary. Everything's coming up roses for you and for me, as the old song says. Everything's pretty good right now. Just kidding. Just kidding, Ken. Just giving you a hard time. <laughs> hey, Bill, I do have a quick question before I get to the Braves and the Hawks. Uh, and good for Warren Brinson. Explain to me why in the hell the White House has not invited Georgia Bulldogs two years running now to the White House. Explain that to me. Oh, and by the way, the Braves weren't invited either. And I don't want to hear it's politics. Yeah, the Braves That's went. Ridiculous. No, the, Bra- the Braves went at the very end of the season when they went back to Washington play the Nationals, uh, they, they went late in the year. Look, I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, not that much does in that situation, but I I don't know. I, I don't know why they'd want to go, to be honest with you. I mean, they'd have to wake him up from his nap to make him come to the ceremony or either get him out of Ukraine to, to get him there. So I, I wouldn't even want to go if I was them, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I just don't think it's – as big of a deal as it used to be because you've got so much political unrest. And uh, I, I just think, why would people want to do that? I mean, you respect the office, not the not the person necessarily, and, and I understand that. But I wouldn't want to get caught up in the mess of the politics that goes along with it. So I, I hope they don't go. Well, I understand what you're saying, Bill, but it is an honor to be invited to the White House. The White House, regardless of who's in office, invites the current champion of the sport to the office. That's the way it works. And for whatever reason, Georgia's now back-to-back. And good for Warren Brinson. I think they should call him out. And I think what's going to happen is they're going to say, uh-oh, we better invite these guys to the White House. I hope they do because they deserve to go. I don't care who's in office. And I'm with you. I disagree with him. Whatever. I don't want to get down that road. Um, Bill, I'm so glad that the Hawks did what they did. It's a little late in my opinion. But I was – I was kind of floored by what John Collins said today. Did you see that? That he basically said Nate McMillan was not a good team. I mean, he said he felt bad for him and really liked him, 
like him as a coach, but he was not a good fit. Collins said that because it's a younger team, and Nate would have worked better with an older team. So the players even saw that he wasn't a good fit, and it took this long for that marriage to end. I don't, I don't understand it, and we as fans have to sit here and suffer. That's what pisses me off most about all this. Well, they, they were in a real weird situation two years ago where it would have looked really bad if you had not invited him to stay as head coach after he'd gotten the team to the best spot they'd ever been in. Uh, but I think we all had those reservations and concerns that this was a guy who would be better served being around a veteran team. And I don't, I don't know if that will ever happen for him again, but I, I don't, don't think it was a good fit because of that reason and I, I don't think it should surprise anybody i'm glad john collins said it i think it's true i mean if nate mcmillan's honest with himself he'd probably say it out loud too eddie yeah i know and just you know it just so much promise and hope and fun we had and it's just all come crashing down it's it's a good thing we've got the dogs and the braves going because this would be yet another notch in the in the bedpost of atlanta annals of getting us all hyped up about sports and then crapping all over us because that's what happened Hey, one last question for you. I read that Ian Anderson has now developed a third pitch, that being the slider, I believe. Well, I, I'm not a baseball guy like you are, Bill. Explain to me now why, this far into his career, Anderson is just now developing that pitch where it could have been it could have been developed years ago, and that's been his weakness all along is that he's only a two-pitch pitcher. Explain that to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to – I'm, let me answer it after I hang up on you, Eddie. Thank you very much for calling. Just because of the delay, I'm not doing that because I'm upset at what he said or anything. Uh, it's a good question. Why is it waited that long? I don't know the answer to that. He he obviously has a very good changeup. He has thrown a curveball at times. It's been too loopy. Um, I, I think he had success, obviously, in the big leagues at the end of 2020 when he came in for Soroka. And then 21, and then in the end of the playoffs, the World Series, he kind of got by with it. A lot of people thought because of his arm angle, and it kind of threw people off a little bit. But it caught up with him last year. He had an ERA of over five. Then he went to AAA. He had an ERA of over five. You got to have a third pitch if you're going to be a starting pitcher in the big leagues. And so we'll see how this slider goes. Um, I like Ian a lot. He's a great kid. He's got good stuff, but you've got to have a third pitch. And it's ridiculous, I think, that he hasn't had one up to this point. And it's a good question of why not. And we'll see how it goes with his slider and whether that helps him or not. It, it should. And it, even if it's a get-me-over slider, you've got to have something in your arsenal besides a fastball and a changeup. And I love the changeup, but you've you, you just got to have something more than two pitches or you're not going to be able to be successful consistently in the big leagues. Bobby in Macon is with us. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Bill. How's it going? Going great. Good to hear from you. I heard earlier you asked um, Franco D'Orlando was, was Trey a coach killer, and, and, and he said no, but all the stars have done that. And I think that's the problem now. This is the third coach. Everybody keeps calling Trey Young a star. He's a good NBA player. He's, you know, when Zach Randolph used to uh, average 20 and 10 for the Knicks and nobody won, and they used to call him a empty double-double. You know, Shea Gidris Alexander for OKC. Very good player putting up impressive numbers, but they're not winning and he's not making anybody better. Uh, Trey doesn't make anybody better. You know, it, there's three levers in the NBA. you got superstars, stars, and very good players. 
you know, Giannis and those and, and Steph are superstars. Uh, Spider Mitchell and Jimmy Butler and Clay Thompson, those guys are stars. And then you got very good players. I think Trey is a very good player. I think DeJounte Murray is a very good player. But on any coach that comes in and the fans and, and the front office think that because they got Trey Young, they're going to win because he's a star, it's going to be another coach that's going to last two years, and we're going to say he doesn't relate to the players. You know, but so, Bobby, would you trade him? Would you would you trade Trey Young because of that? Uh, depends. If if I was trying to get another very good player, I mean, but if I was trying to, um, if I knew I needed something else, and Trey Young was a good player, I would keep him. But to label him a star and expect to win with Trey Young, you're setting anybody up that comes in. Tell me who Trey Young has made better. You know, and I'll ask you, Bill, if, say, last year, Golden State won the championship. If Clay Thompson had been healthy and Steph Curry had been the one hurt, do you think they would have won the championship? And I'll answer and say no, because I think Clay Thompson is a very good player and Steph is a superstar. So, you know, Trey, you know, two So is there anyone, Bobby, though, that can help him elevate his game to that next level? It would have to take, I think, one of those next-level players for him to, to, to respect them to that level because I think what Trey has gotten into the trouble of what Donovan Mitchell got into early on in his career. They labeled him a star, and he got the big head, and he got to be hard-headed, you know, until they got him out. So, so, so I think unless he can, you know, get a little humility and stop being ice Trey and start back just playing complimentary basketball where everybody works as a team, um, it's going to be hard. As long as they keep labeling him a superstar and expect the team to win with him as the centerpiece superstar player, the Hawks are going to have a problem. You know, we keep saying they made it to the final a couple years ago. I call that the Jeremy Lin syndrome. You know, it's a flashing star, and, 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 it's, and it's gone. It's, it's, that's over with. Well, that's real quick, before we we got to let you go, we got about 20 seconds, 10 seconds, really. Who would you hire as head coach? Uh, I would like to see Snyder or the guy that used to coach Boston, um, you know, pass considered, but I just don't think anybody should come in thinking Trey Young's a star and he's going to lead them there. That's good. Good. Good points, no doubt. Bobby, thank you very much. Always great to hear from you. We appreciate it. We'd love to hear your thoughts as well. 478-646-3776. More phone calls, more sports talk as we continue here on the Bill Shank Show.